Hi, everyone. Hope all is well. This is Matthew Peitenberg, and welcome to episode two of the Signals Matter podcast on how the Amazon stock valuation symbolizes the post-2008 market distortion. Welcome to the Signals Matter podcast, where it's all about cutting through the fog of financial media spin so that you can think, trade, and manage risk like an investor rather than a gambler. And now, here's your host, Matthew Pippenberg, a true market geek and legend in his own mind of weaving and mixing metaphor to make the complex simple. Hey there, many thanks for coming to today's episode. We really appreciate it and are looking forward to being a part of your, my, and our journey, navigating the fog of markets with a bit more common sense and candor, we think, than otherwise found in the pablum and sell-side spin of the mainstream financial media. Today's episode is about making sense of the Amazon.com security and how it represents thematically and symbolically a lot of the distortion in the post-2008 markets. We really recommend you make sure to check out as well signalsmatter.com where you can check out our blogs, vlogs, and other podcasts for free. And certainly feel free to download uh, a copy of the Signals Matter Investment Primer, which is a dense but very user-friendly condensed version of just about everything we've learned in the last 50 years, some of our best thinking, some of our best practices, and understand everything from macroeconomics, portfolio construction, to the risks and opportunities in individual security selection and trade management. Yours for free, no strings attached. Thanks again. Well, let's dig right in and consider the stock of Amazon, AMZN is its ticker, a $435 billion market cap stock with a PE multiple as of today, November 2017, of 280X. In, in many ways, Amazon is a symbol, I think, and we believe, of, of a real symbol of the Fed distortion of valuation, uh, in particular since the 2008 uh, stimulus that the Fed gave our markets in the wake of that crisis and what we've been experiencing ever since then. It's well, Amazon is also, in my opinion, kind of a, a symbol of a bogus mainstream financial media, SEC reporting, and kind of sell-side spin that is so predominant in this bull market today. Um, it really is kind of giving rise to what is completely comical about the Wall Street status quo. Um, it reminds me a lot of the tech bubble right now, which you know I'm a, a, a true veteran of, having enjoyed the best of that bubble and, and enjoyed many of the rewards from it, but also recognizing even at the time that it was just a little crazy. I remember just days before the dot-com crash that every sell-side analyst that I would call it from my hedge fund was always recommending, I'm, I'm saying literally 98, 99% of their recommendations were, were, were buy orders. And, you know, it, uh, it just proved to me and reminded me even as a young trader at that time in the, in the late 90s, early 2000, 2001, that so much of the banking expertise that I was receiving uh, was really just salesmanship. Um, and I also remember, in addition to those kind of sell-side spin doctors, um, the, the experts on the street were really more, uh, I would say, again, salesmen more than savants. It's also noting as an aside that it wasn't just the sell-side spin or the financial wealth advisors or the the brokerage desk or the sell-side analysts at the banks. It really was even um, the so-called mega experts, the PhDs, the bank CEOs, the Fed chairman. I remember at the time, you know, both before the crash of 2001 and the dot-com and even the subprime mortgage crash in 2008, 
listening to Fed Chairman Greenspan and then later Bernanke boasting of market stability just days, hours before those markets crashed. Even Hank Paulson, the Treasury Secretary at the time of the 2008 crash, former CIO at Goldman Sachs, clearly one of the best and the brightest of that cadre of thinkers and bankers, um, just getting it completely wrong and looking like a doe in the headlights when the market finally had its Lehman moment in 2008. And all I do is, the only reason I bring that up is just to, it just goes to, to show you that even the experts aren't something you can just have a blind faith in. It reminds me of a quote by La Rochefoucauld, a great uh, French philosopher of the 18th century, that the highest offices are not always held by the highest minds. And I think there's some truth to that. It's important when you're listening to me or, frankly, anyone else, including the Fed chairman or chairwoman, not to just assume the experts, and certainly the experts on Fox News or MSNBC or Bloomberg Radio or God knows Market Watch on NPR. Don't just take everything you hear uh, at face value. Anyway, the Amazon.com or the Amazon stock, really, excuse me, uh, phenomena fascinates me. It was the subject of one of my first blogs back in May of 2017. Uh, blog as well on the 2nd of November. Um, it's something I've given a lot of thought to because I think it really is very thematic of so many of the problems that we're seeing in this market, so many of the distortions we're seeing in this market. And that's why I've chosen Amazon as kind of the poster child of that. But first, let's just look at the numbers. Um, you know, the numbers came out last week, uh, the Q3 numbers, 2017. The Q3 numbers came out last week for Amazon. The blowout numbers, how it crushed earnings expectations. Uh, for 2017, the Q3 earnings were about $316 million. It's important to note that despite that blowout in earnings, that's actually a 35% drop from its 2016 Q3 earnings, which were $491 million. Um, so, you know, that's something to keep in mind, this, this huge run-up on the Amazon stock on a report of earnings, which were actually less by 35% than they were a year ago, and yet, nevertheless, the media was able to spin that into a positive. Um, the shares, the share rise of 53 cents per share, which beat expectations, was another thing that really added some tailwind to this huge move in the Amazon stock on the day it beat earnings. Uh, the earnings expectations were just two cents a share. Um, so beating a two cent per share uh, earnings expectation wasn't that hard. It's a classic trick that the sell side um, uses at these banks on the street that they they, uh, they, they, they set expectations so low uh, that it's easy to beat them, and it's almost fixing the game. It's, it's worth noting as well that just three months ago, uh, just three months ago, the expectation for Q3 earnings was supposed to be $1.90 per share, not $0.02 cents a share. So they downward guided those expectations before the earnings were reported. Really, really front-running the expectations. It's really kind of disturbing. It's kind of like saying, you know, my son got a C minus and it's great because he beat expectations. We were thinking he was going to get a D. And so you're supposed to be excited about that. But that's what the street does. They, they consciously squeeze down the earnings expectations so that just about anyone can beat it. And certainly Amazon was able to beat a two cent per share rise expectation. Just keep in mind how kind of sickening that is. And by the way, it's, it's really the job of the SEC to, um, to uh, kind of uphold fair and honest reporting, what we call fair disclosure, which the SEC is really supposed to be doing, and they clearly aren't doing that when you think about, when you look behind the scenes, if you're used to trading securities or being in a big fund or a bank, you got to look really, really skeptically at the quote-unquote expectations of the analysts in the street. Uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors behind that, but I won't get too much into that. 
So let's look at these blowout earnings. Amazon gained 60 billion of market share in a single day, the day it beat those earnings. That's more increase in market cap. That's 60 billion in market cap in a single day is more than the market cap of the entire company of General Motors. That tells you just how big and quote unquote successful the Amazon stock really is. But you know, let's kind of look at the reality behind those huge, huge numbers. And uh, I think, you know, let's look at the things that I talk a lot about um, for subscribers of Signals Matter in the Market School in my section on stocks or equities. I talk a lot about the importance of balance sheets and uh, free cash flow and profits and net income and how that's different than just looking at earnings because earnings can be really manipulated. Without getting all the details of those various balance sheet terms, which can put you to sleep, suffice it to say that the actual engine under the hood of the Amazon motor is really, really in, in pretty poor condition by pure fundamental analysis, looking at things like profits, looking at things like net income, uh, looking at things like free cash flow, which are far more important measures to me of the health of a, of a security than just earnings. Again, there's so much tweaking about earnings. But let's look at just some of this stuff. Look, look at the, the net income. Um, the net income for, uh, for, for Amazon is uh, 1.9 billion, which means it has a PE multiple of 280X. It means its price to earnings is 280 times. That is very reminiscent of the dot-com bubble. It's very reminiscent of just pure crazy. Uh, but keep that in mind. Last 12-month income was 3 billion the year before. Uh, the year before that, it was um, 3.6 billion. So actually, when you're looking behind the curtains of this so-called earnings breakout, uh, there's been a 15% decline uh, this year in uh, net income. So so far, you see a really weak earnings report that gets pushed as a great earnings report, and then you see a decline in net income. Another thing that I look for. Um, uh, is free cash flow. And when accounting for CapEx spending hidden behind clever capital leases, free cash flow for Amazon was also negative. It was negative by $4 billion. So, you know, you look at net income, you look at free cash flow, uh, you look at that and you think, well, it's both pretty bad. It's declining and negative. Well, let's look at profits. Um, from 2010 to today, from, excuse me, from 2010 to today, uh, sales have increased at Amazon from 34 billion to 161 billion. And at first glance, that looks really impressive. Their sales, their revenues have certainly increased. But what you're not seeing in the news, or probably not hearing in the newspaper, and certainly in most of the kind of USA Today like reports on Amazon, that the profit margin for Amazon was only 1.9%, just shy of 2%. And by the way, if you take out Amazon's iCloud business, from which basically 80% of its overall profits are derived, Amazon would actually be a profitless company. So, you know, keep all these things in mind. Uh, profits, free cash flow, net income, all in the negative uh, for a stock that's going up by 60 billion in a single day based on an earnings report. It's just hard to understand. And now we go back to the market cap question. For Q3, uh, Amazon stands now at a $535 billion market cap, which is a massive size. That's juggernaut squared. And just over two and a half years ago, that market cap was $135 billion. Today, it's $535 billion. So how do you explain a $400 billion 
dollar increase in market cap in less than three years for a company whose net income has gone down, whose free cash flow is negative, and whose profits are razor thin, razor thin to invisible at just under 2%. Well, I think, yeah, well, I think sarcastically and, and sardonically, the answer to that question is really easy. Um, to me, Amazon is a momentum trade driven by a keg party of steroids, compliments of the Fed, and frankly, the cocaine effect of $3.7 trillion in printed money and years of low to zero interest rates, compliments of our Federal Reserve. Um, and, and in episode one, I talk a lot about the Federal Reserve, and you can see how that influence of the Federal Reserve ties into the specifics of just this security. The drunken investing in this market has focused primarily on stories like Amazon or Netflix or Tesla and Facebook and et cetera, very similar to the 2000, 2001 bubble when a few companies got most of the attention in the tech sector. And we'll look at that in a few seconds as well, how there's a lot of overlap there, but this is a little bit different. In any case, this kind of drunken speculation, by the way, is the classic sign of a peak that always precedes a popping phase of a market bubble. And I remember, uh, you know, stocks like Cisco and Microsoft and Yahoo and Juniper and Global Crossing when I was in my late 20s, early 30s during the dot-com bubble trading those stocks and how they just tanked uh, when the markets tanked and they, their valuations went down dramatically. Even like RCA in 1929, when there's a bubble and something's overvalued, when a trigger pops that bubble, those overvalued stocks fall very fast, faster than a stone in the ocean. The rub of all rubs, though, for me, is that Amazon isn't even a profitable company. It's basically a cowboy that's all hat and no horse. Uh, and, uh, you know, as we'll see in the next few minutes and you look at his business model, you can kind of see how it happened. How did this happen? How did a company that's profitless get so big, so huge? Um, and what are the pros and cons? What's a good way to look at Amazon? How can we be an apologist for Amazon or how can we not be a critic of it? Is it fair? Am I being too hard? Uh, let's look at that a little bit. Um, the business model for Amazon is really two parts. It's e-commerce and then cloud servicing. On the e-commerce side, you know, 90% of its sales is about sourcing, storing, and distributing stuff. And we all kind of know how Amazon works on Amazon.com. Um, it has been the destroyer of brick-and-mortar retail, which are joining the e-commerce wave as they should. But, um, you know, clearly e-commerce in general, and certainly Amazon in particular, has been the new wave, and Amazon has led that wave, and they are just very, very powerful. But their business model is unique in the sense that it essentially involves being the Pac-Man, which seeks out, eats alive, and destroys, as Kyle Bass recently noted, profits in every sector it enters, from books to toothpaste and diapers to pharmacies and now grocery stores, since they just made the acquisition of Whole Foods. So what Amazon does very, very well is underprice its competition in any sector it decides to take an interest in and then buy them out or squeeze them out. And they underprice. Um, and one would, would ask, how the heck do they underprice and how do they do that? And how do they make a profit? Well, the answer is they do it, but they don't make a profit. And that's why I think the Amazon model is very unsustainable longer term, despite its massive success and headline power. Uh, Amazon undercuts the price of interest that it competes with and then enters that interest industry and continues to lose money. And they get away with that again because the market keeps buying their stock based on its price momentum rather than its actual value creation. This is what happens when markets get drunk. You know, it's classic. Amazon can go in, underprice its competition, and eat it up, gobble it up, or squeeze it out 
And they get the money or the means to do that because not because their operations or their business model is profitable, but because their stock price is so high and because their, their valuations are so over the top that they actually have the capital to make profitless decisions and bad decisions and not be punished for that, at least, in my opinion, not yet. And by the way, don't think others in the retail space, uh, companies like Walmart, aren't catching on. Their sales, by the way, rose by twice the levels of Amazon in the last quarter. So other companies, big juggernauts, um, like Walmart are not going to let Amazon win this race and win it entirely. And Amazon isn't even really winning because when their stock price eventually falls in a correction, they won't have the money to sustain these poor business models that really, if you look under the hood, uh, they carry out. The other, the other kind of part of the business model of Amazon is its AWS or cloud service. And it's, its cloud service has a you know well over $100 billion market cap. It's about... Two and a half billion to 2.8 billion in net income in the last 12 months. It really is the source of income for Amazon, not its e-commerce section. And yet, um, you know, if 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 iCloud or cloud servicing is really the the guts of the profits of Amazon's 535 billion dollar market cap with a th mere three billion in profits, but if that mere three billion comes from the cloud. That makes Amazon very, very vulnerable in the long run. In the long run, and you have to ask yourself: Does Amazon own the cloud? Uh, I don't think so. And I think the Darwinists who run companies like Oracle or Microsoft and Google are gonna let, aren't gonna let, excuse me, Amazon conquer the cloud. Uh, there are no barriers to entry in this space, and these other big companies like Microsoft and Google and Oracle are going in guns blazing. In fact, Larry Ellison over at uh, at Oracle is on a particular terror to rule this space and cut pricing in the service in the iCloud service by at least 90%. That will in the long run eventually undercut a lot of the bottom line, the media the mediocre bottom line of Amazon's iCloud uh, profits, which again, when you think about a 535 billion dollar market cap company that only shows 3 billion in profits in the last 12 months, which was down from 3.6 billion the year before, Declining profits, declining net income, negative free cash flow, and yet a company that in one day for beating a measly bottom-of-the-barrel earnings expectation rose by $60 billion in a day. This kind of stuff you just don't see unless markets are very, very drunk. And as I said in episode one, I tried to explain at least in my own goofy way how these markets got so drunk. And if you had to look in one direction, look towards Washington, D.C. in particular and Constitutional Ave in, you know, in general. And then on Constitutional Ave, you will see uh, the Eccles building of the Federal Reserve, which was the big distributor, the keg party distributor, the beer distributor at the party, trillions of dollars in printed money, years and years and years of low rate interest, which encouraged a lot of speculative borrowing and debt and debt induced investing, which has just been a massive steroid. So it's not, um, it's not hard for me to, to be critical of the Fed and to show how it distorts companies like Amazon. Amazon is just a symbol of it. We could do a similar metric on other companies, but even companies like Apple at least are producing a widget and a good that can show a revenue model. Companies to me like Amazon or Tesla just defy reason, and, and, and they're going to fall just like companies that we believed in in the dot-com bubble or in the 2008 bubble fell just as fast. It's not that Amazon, excuse me, that Amazon is a fantasy or bogus company or that Jeff Bezos isn't a disruptor or an innovator. All those things are true. 
what we are or what I am saying is the valuations of this company are bogus and pure fantasy. And this, again, is what happens when steroids, beer, and easy money and low rates enter a market cycle that becomes really a bull on financial meth. And the end result is always, always the same. And that's a big boom. And remember, and I'll close with this, that stocks fall faster than they rise. And stocks like Amazon, when the signals are ripe, will be an awesome, awesome short trade. And like I've said, we are very patient here. Uh, it signals matter. We look at this security as well as hundreds and hundreds of others in the backdrop of the macro indicators we're looking at or the sector indicators we're looking at and the kind of market trends daily that we're looking at and the macro trends we're looking at weekly. We're waiting just for the right time to really, really make a safe profit on an easy short on this otherwise bloated monster that is Amazon. But again, that could be in a week, a day, a month, a year, or whenever the signals tell us. We're agnostic about our opinions like mine right now. For trading purposes, we have to wait for a combination of our opinions and fundamentals to meet with our technical signals. So it really is important to have both. It's very easy to rant as I'm ranting. It's clear that I have a bias against Amazon, but you know, rant or not, bias or not, the numbers tell the facts and the numbers aren't ranting. They're very basic and it's just important every now and then we paused to look at those numbers and respect them. So that's it for Amazon, the Amazon trade or the Amazon analysis as of uh, Q3 2017. Fascinating exercise to just kind of look at it and see how irrational it is and yet how fascinating that valuation can be. Uh, this is not a time to buy and hold a stock that's traded at 280 times earnings. It's not a time to not be thinking actively about risk management. If you're in the position or been in it for a while, you may not be at the top, but you're at a top. And it's not a time to assume that tomorrow or next month or next year is going to be the same as last month or yesterday. It's really, really important to actively control your risk in this position and to know when to get in or when to get out. Uh, again, fascinating, uh, symbolic uh, poster child of an overall overvalued equities market in general. In another episode, we'll talk about bonds and other fascinating things about the bond market. But hopefully that was good for you on Amazon. Again, thanks for taking the time to listen. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that journey into the, uh, into the, into the world that is Amazon, into the security of Amazon. Um, if you want to see more about Amazon, please visit the Signals Matter website, signalsmatter.com. In the blog section, both on the 17th of May, there is a blog on Amazon. And on November 2nd of 2017, there's an additional kind of update blog on the security that is Amazon and how it ties into the larger subject of the Federal Reserve and this post-2008 market and the risks and opportunities that are there. Uh, SignalsMatter.com has plenty of other topics uh, and categories in its blog or video blogs as well as written blogs. You can check out videos or read uh, you know, my own blogs on a lot of different topics from stocks and bonds to central banks to politics to macro things. Make sure as well, please, to download a free copy of the Signals Matter Investment Primer, which is, again, a fantastic user-friendly collection of some and Tom and I's best thinking over the last 50 combined years of working the markets. So be well, and as always, be safe with your investing.